Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Brent Jones. Enjoy. So, in church, we do a lot of things that might seem weird. Uh, I'm the connections pastor here, so I talk to people about kind of their church experience, and sometimes we do things that might seem a little odd. Do you know what else we do in church? We use words that are a little weird. We use words that might seem a little bit odd, um, and like, like, um, like uh, well, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastical, we, you know, um, revelation, that's not a word you use in your day-to-day life, typically. And this morning, we're going to talk about this word that really you don't hear anywhere except for really in Christianity. It actually only appears, this one time in Scripture, it appears in, in three of the Gospels, um, and that is the transfiguration. The transfiguration. And you know, what's weird about this is that there's really no other word for it. What happens in this story we're about to read in Mark chapter 9 is that there's really no other word for what happened here. We don't have a word now in our society. It's like transformation. It doesn't quite do it. You know, um, in the Greek, it's, it's, it's a metamorphosis. Um, and, but it, it doesn't quite it, it doesn't quite capture what happens in this story with Jesus and his disciples. Not just Jesus and his disciples. Jesus reaches way back into the Old Testament and brings some Old Testament into the picture. All in this scene that is, it's, it's, it's biblical. That's what it is. It's biblical. It's, it's like, um, and, and the, the characters that we see in it, they are actually these biblical characters that are so much larger than life that even their stories... They, they're, they're there participating in this moment with Jesus, and even their participation kind of is, is diminished just because of what happens with him alone. And so the transfiguration is such a, a pivotal event, and we just kind of touch on it like, oh yeah, and then Jesus' face lit up, and then they walked down from the mountain, and blah, blah, blah. But the transfiguration is something in Scripture, and something in our Christian walk, something that happened that is transformative in more ways than we have an idea about today. That's because of who was there. And so I want to start with a reference by a guy that was there, Peter. You know, it's funny, in, in this, we've been walking through the book of Mark, and as we walk through the book of Mark, what stands out mostly is Peter's story. Peter's, Peter's um, dialogue with his friends, Peter's dialogue with Jesus, Peter's experiences along the way. They jump out in the book of Mark because that's where Mark sourced most of his material, we know. He got it from Peter's stories. And so one of Peter's stories, Peter references later in the book of Peter, chapter 1, Peter, uh, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 16, this is actually Peter speaking to the New Testament church, and he says this. Listen, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So Peter references this and and, and, uh, Peter says, hey, I saw it. I saw it. I'm not just telling you something that I heard about. I'm not just telling you something that I wished had happened. I'm not just telling you about a fairy tale. I'd like to tell you something that really happened, that I actually saw him in his glory, in his majesty. I saw the Christ. And I know he was the Christ because, not just because I followed him for three and a half years, but I saw the Christ. And I know he was the Christ because the voice came down from the heavens and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Peter had a moment with Jesus. Peter had a moment with the Father. Peter had a moment of glory that shapes him so much, he writes later to the church about it. Let's read about that moment in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, we're starting in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Are you letting this story just sink in line by line here? And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, just teacher, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters or tabernacles or tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. <laughs> In parentheses it says, he just didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. <laughs> you ever do that? You ever just talk because you're nervous? You just, you know, you just kind of, you just kind of blabber because you don't know what else because you're like, this, they were terrified. They were so scared, he just starts talking. Oh, hey, teacher, it's really good for us to be here. This is awesome. Let's put up some tents. Let's camp. Let's stay. This is amazing. Let's do this. I could camp. Could you camp? And Jesus doesn't even acknowledge the sentence that he uses. It's like, he's like, "Uh, okay, and just moves on. We see Peter do that. We see Jesus do that a couple times with Peter. He's like, wait, what? Never mind. Then, listen, the cloud appeared. So Peter's talking, and Peter's like, hey, let's set up tents, let's set up tabernacles, let's do this. And suddenly, this cloud takes over the top of the mountain. This isn't a storm rolling in. It says suddenly. This is, this is in a moment. This is not like a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud, and the voice said, this is my son, whom I love, listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone except Jesus. 
As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead means. <laughs> what? what do you think he's saying there? I don't know. What do you think he's saying? You know, it's funny. They didn't talk about what they heard from the cloud, which is weird. Like a, a cloud comes and speaks to me, and you're talking about... I don't, anyway. Uh, to be, uh, so they asked him, why do teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, he does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Okay. So that's our, that's our passage this morning. That's the story. That is this weird event in the history of our family that we get to talk about today. This thing happens where, where Jesus takes these, just three of them, up on a mountain, and, and suddenly he is glowing whiter than any, anything on earth could bleach him or make him white. He is like glowing. And then he's with these the two biggest characters in the story so far, Moses and Elijah, the only one missing is Abraham. And we'll talk about Abraham in a second, but there these guys are. And he's just chatting with them. Why? Why? Why do we have the transfiguration? Why is this a thing? Why did it need to happen? Why is it recorded in three out of the four Gospels? Why is it here? Well, I just want to quickly just talk about one, one scripture, and that is that Matthew chapter 5 says this. In verse 17, it says, this is Jesus talking. He says, um, do not presume that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not, but to fulfill. You see, in this verse, we see that the law and the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus. We have the law through Moses. We have the prophets through Elijah. And we have this moment. And that's, that's where we, we mostly hang our hat as the, as the body of Christ these days as well. He had to go up on the mountain because he had to meet with the law and he had to meet with the prophets. And so, bing, bang, boom. Why the glowing? Did he have to glow? Why the voices? Why the, what is happening here? A lot of times we're just like, oh, well, that, was, that happened. Okay. But why? You know, what's interesting is that the, the guys that are represented up there are all mountaintop guys. What do I mean by that? Moses was a mountaintop experience guy. God called Moses up on the mountain, and that's when he gave him the law. The Ten Commandments were given to him on the mountain. He was called, the, 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 the Bible says that God called Moses. Moses went up the mountain. Moses receives the law. Moses comes down the mountain, and Moses is glowing. Moses meets with God on the mountain to get the law and is glowing. So much so that the people say, cover your face lest we die. Sounds a little familiar. Elijah is a mountaintop guy. Not only does he represent the prophets here, but he represents the prophetic move of God through his people because the prophetic calls the people of God back 
to obedience and the worship of God. And that's what Elijah did. And Elijah has a mountaintop experience. The mountaintop experience Elijah has is he gets called up to the mountain. He has, he has multiple, like Moses. But in particular, he gets called up to the mountain, and he's hiding in a cave. Remember this? I don't know if you know, but he's hiding in a cave, and God wants to meet with him, and God is about to pronounce judgment on Israel and do something great in Israel. And the Bible says that there's an earthquake, and there's a wind, and there's a, all of this shaking. And then he meets with God in a still, small voice. He goes... But what's interesting is that just before this, the mountaintop experience that he had was on Mount Carmel, where he calls down the fire of God to consume the sacrifice. You see, these are mountaintop guys. Yes, they're the law. Yes, they're the prophets. But they're also, they have these mountaintop experiences both on Mount Carmel and in a Mount Sinai that are transformative. But what are they talking about here? The Bible says that they chatted on the mountain. The Bible says that Jesus, Elijah, and Moses are talking. I love that. What are they talking about? What are they talking about? In Luke chapter 9, this, the telling of this same story, it says that Moses and Elijah were talking about Jesus's Departure. His departure. The Greek word for that departure there is literally his exodus, his exit, his leaving, how it was going to happen. Whoa, what a moment. So Jesus gets together with this guy, these guys, talks about his departure, talks about how he's going to suffer, talks about how he's going to lay down his life, talks about how he's going to give his life, be beaten, be battered, be crucified, and he leaves that conversation glowing? You see, I think they're talking about another mountaintop experience. I think the three, this is, this is just, this is just Brent's version. So bear with me. But I think they all get together and they're there talking about another mountaintop experience. I think that these two guys, Moses and Elijah, they're like, well, here's, here's been our experience. But, you know, actually, Moses, who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote all the book until then, sits down and is like, hey, I want to tell you about another mountaintop experience. Abraham had. And Abraham, the father of our faith, is, he is, one morning wakes up and God speaks to him and says, hey, Abraham, take your son, your only son, to a mountain that I will choose. And on that mountain, I want you to sacrifice your son's life to me. The Bible says that Abraham woke up early the next morning he gathered his son Isaac, his only son, and he took with him the wood for the sacrifice, and they start hiking. And along that hike, his son Isaac says to him, he says, Dad, hey, we have the wood for the sacrifice. We've got the fire. We've got Winnie. We're headed to the place of the sacrifice. Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says to his son, 
his only son, son, God himself will provide a sacrifice. And we know how that story ends. He, 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 he puts Isaac on the altar. He prepares to sacrifice his one and only son in obedience and worship and devotion to God. And God says, Abraham, stop because now I know that you follow me. And it says there in the bushes, there was a ram to sacrifice. And he, God provided them a sacrifice. And he sacrifices that ram there on the altar. And I think Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, they're saying there, and it says that they're talking about his departure. They're talking about what must happen. I think Moses is like, hey, let me tell you what Abraham did. Here's how this goes down. Moses says, Abraham took his son, his only son, up to a hilltop and sacrificed him in obedience. And so I think that is the conversation that they're having there is that his departure is imminent. And Jesus leaves this conversation with, with them glowing and there's this, this smoke. But you know, this mountaintop experience is not the only thing that this event is about. You see, there's only one other place. Get this. There's only one other place where Moses and Elijah are referenced in Scripture together. They're talked about separately a lot. There's only one other place where they come together in one chapter. Do you know where that is? It's in Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. It speaks about both of them, and it says this. Malachi chapter 4, verse 4 says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him for all of Israel. Behold, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So what is happening here? What is going on? Why is it in, in Scripture, the only two places where these two dudes appear together, the, the, the transfiguration in the New Testament, and here in Malachi chapter 4, this prophetic look forward into what God is going to do in the New Covenant, why is that the only place they're mentioned together? The last words written from the prophet. Do you know that um, our, the Old Testament ends with that chapter? Malachi chapter 4, that is the end of the Old Testament. The end of the Old Testament happens right here. He says, you're going to have Moses, and you're going to have Elijah, and then he closes the Old Testament with that. And then there's 400 years of silence. And then the 400 years of silence ends with the Gospels. And here's Jesus at the Transfiguration saying, standing there with Moses and Elijah. Why? Because he says, I'm going to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children to their fathers. These words that close the Old Testament and mark the end of the Old Covenant are a promise of what's to come in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. And God says, with Moses and Elijah and these other guys as witnesses, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. The significance of Moses and Elijah being there is that they are a sign. They're a mile marker to all the guys in the room saying, this is happening right now. This is a fulfillment. Jesus says it about Isaiah 61. When he's preaching, one day he reads Isaiah 61, and then he says, these words are fulfilled today in your hearing. 
See, there's little signs all along the way in Jesus' ministry. This was a big sign in Jesus' ministry where Moses and Elijah appear together with Jesus and he says to them, hey, this is that moment right now. This is the Messiah. And so just so you can get a clue about what kind of leader the Messiah actually is and what he actually came to do, here are Moses and Elijah. And remember what the very last chapter of your book says, that they would usher in reconciliation. Hearts of fathers to children, hearts of children to fathers. Reconciliation is the heart of fathers and children turning to each other. It's demonstrated here as the father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And these witnesses. This is the, the moment where the Old Testament actually meets the New Testament. The Old Testament, Old Covenant actually meets the New Covenant here in Jesus. They touch here on this mountain. And Jesus says, I'm here to fulfill what was spoken to you in the last chapter of Scripture at that time. You know, I was taught that when things get a little bit confusing or disorienting in life, you feel a little bit lost. You're not quite sure, like, what you should be doing next or where you should be going next. I was always taught you go back to the last thing God told you. If I'm feeling like I just don't, I'm feeling a little bit lost, I'm feeling like I don't know my way, am I on the right path, am I on the, have I, go back to the last thing God said to you. What's the last thing I know God said to me? Okay, well, I was, okay, I wrote this down. I had a dream. Someone spoke to me. I, I read this in scripture. I took some notes in my journal. What was the last thing God spoke to you? And you go back to that. You find your bearings and then move forward in your calling. That's just a side note. That's a great tip right there. <laughs> I've used it many times in my life. Go back to what the last thing is that God said to you, that you felt direction for from God. You're feeling lost. You're feeling confused. Go back to the last thing he said. Well, let me tell you what. The Jewish people were pretty lost. The Jewish people were pretty confused. The disciples, honestly, were pretty lost and pretty confused. They still didn't quite understand what he was there to do. They knew he was the Savior. They knew he was the Messiah. But they didn't quite know what kind of Savior, what kind of Messiah, what exactly he came to do. Jesus takes them back through the transfiguration to the last thing God said. The last thing God says to his people before Jesus enters the picture is, I'm going to send you Moses. I'm going to send you Elijah. And they're going to bring reconciliation. They're going to bring fathers turned to kids, kids turned to fathers. They're going to bring reconciliation. And he's standing there, and you'd think they'd just get the picture because he's glowing, but he's like, And then, because they're not quite picking it up because he's glowing, then the father comes in with a cloud. This is him. I do that with my notes too, see? I don't know if you can see these, but do you see the highlights? These are things I have to say to you. The rest is all just cheese. It doesn't matter. These are things, see the high, These are things I have to say. You're like, that only says one thing. Let's get out of here. No. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to highlight the point. 
the father takes a highlighter over the life of Jesus, and he's like, see Moses, see Elijah, see the mountaintop, hear their conversation. They're talking about him leaving. They're talking about how it's going to happen. Highlight my son. Do you know what's also interesting is that back in Malachi, when Malachi the prophet speaks this about the coming Messiah, about Elijah, about Moses, when he's speaking then, do you know that, yes, the children of Israel are back in, 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 in uh, Palestine, but did you know they were still, they were under occupation back then, even 400 years earlier. They had masters, they were slaves, they were in, they were in their land, but they were still occupied just by a different nation. So here we go, 400 years into the future. They're still occupied. Now it's just by the Romans. And so now the guys are like, here, this is it. The Messiah, he's going to deliver us from the Romans. He's going to deliver us from this political system. He's going to deliver us from all these armies. He's gonna, we're going to raise up an army here. This is what's going to happen. It's, and, and the father is like, no, listen. Moses, Elijah, highlight Jesus. Okay, Reconciliation. This is the sign. Reconciliation. Reconciliation is the heart of fathers turning to children, the heart of children to fathers, and it's demonstrated here as the father speaks from heaven with witnesses hearing him saying, this is my son, listen to him. There's a reconciliation even he's Even though their relationship is not broken, he demonstrates, this is my son whom I'm pleased with. It's a demonstration of that reconciliation. The heart of a father turning to a son. So when you go back to the last thing that God had said to them, he said, I'm going to send reconciliation to you. Then he lights it up on a mountain and says, this is it. This is him. You see, this mountaintop moment was not just a moment where they, Jesus lights up and says, look at how cool I am, I'm glorified. It's not that. It was Jesus saying, look what I came to do by laying down my life. And they head down the mountain saying, you know, our teachers say Elijah said he's going to restore all things, but that's not what Malachi says. Malachi, which is where the teachers were teaching out of, did not say he was going to restore all things. He said, he'll turn the hearts of fathers to their kids and kids to their parents. They were looking for a Messiah that would reclaim the power of Israel. Jesus, Jesus showed them that the Messiah came to reclaim the hearts of Israel. Their theology of a Savior was misguided at best and led them to see everything through this political, conquering lens. Their thoughts on what the Messiah would be were vastly different than his idea of what the Messiah was. Even after all this, they still were misunderstanding and they walked down the mountain talking about rising from the dead. Are we so different? Sometimes our idea of what a Messiah should be, of what Jesus should be, are vastly different than who he said he was, even though he's highlighted it to us again and again and again. Even later on trial for his life, Jesus faces, Jesus faces all of the ruling political parties of the day. First, he goes before the, the Jews who convict him. They don't accept him. Then he goes before the Romans and Pilate, who convict him and doesn't accept him. Waffles on a little bit, but in the end, is like, no. Then he goes before Herod, 
who is the guy who's set up by the Romans to rule the Jewish people, and he rejects him and doesn't accept him. See, Jesus, there was no political group you could throw Jesus at that would stick. Jesus is standing there saying, I am not probably the Messiah that you think I am. I came to bring reconciliation. They were looking for a revolution. He was looking for reconciliation. God isn't looking for, and we even hear it in in Peter's response. He's like, well, let's set up a house for you. Let's make a place for you. Let's set up a camp for you. He had a temporal, temporary, tent-like solution to Jesus being glorified. And Jesus was like, no, I don't need your temporal solution. I don't need your tabernacles or your tents. I don't need your buildings. I didn't come for a temporary solution. I came for reconciliation. This is the story of the transfiguration, if we can catch it. This is why we need this story in our life's day. This is why it's in there. Because it's meant to remind us that he's not just, you know, the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who came to lay down his life for us. The servant king who would serve all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. He would be brutally murdered. Lay down his life and then buried in a grave, and three days later he would be raised to life in glory so that you and I could have salvation and eternal life. That's who he is. And that can't be explained with just a quick, like, oh, well, yeah, he came from... You see, it took Old Testament law, Old Testament prophets, a cloud from heaven, the voice of the Father, all confirming who he was because what was about to happen was about to rattle their theological cage. Right before their eyes, he was about to be brutally murdered and then buried, and they would, ha- they would just be left there. And what they needed was something to anchor to that said, no, we heard the Father speak on the mountain. No, I saw Moses and Elijah. They confirmed to me what he is doing here. He is here to bring reconciliation. We're not called to bring a revolution, church. We're called to bring a reconciliation. And they're totally different things. We're called to bring a reconciliation of people to God who desperately loves them and is not willing that any of them should perish, but all should come to repentance through Christ Jesus. That's what we're called to do. If if we're doing anything else, we're on the wrong track. We're not called to get people excited about anything else except reconciliation with Jesus Christ and the Father. We aren't called to bring... Now listen, in in 2 Corinthians, it says this actually. I have a verse for this. You might think it's just my opinion, but I actually have a Bible for it. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this. The Apostle Paul says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciles us to himself, through Christ, and listen, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus reconciles us to the Father and then gives us the ministry of doing the same thing to other people. A lost and dying world that he's desperate to get a hold of and save. 
We're called as a church to be reconcilers, to bring Jesus to our city, to our family, to our friends, to our community, to our neighborhood, through love and service, and to bring our city to him in prayer and present them to him and say, they're yours. That's why, that's why the transfiguration is in there. It's a reminder It's a guidepost. It's a moment that we can go back to and say, wait, what are we supposed to be doing? Reconciling. Let's stand together this morning. Today, here in this odd word, in this even more odd story, we see a glorified Messiah who's here to do one thing. He's here to reconcile you to the Father this morning. He laid down his life so you and I can be friends with God. And it reminds us as the body of Christ, as his family, as his church, that that's our purpose, is to reconcile others with God in turn. And so this morning, I don't know where you find yourself here today. But what I would encourage you to do is not, like the disciples, get caught up in what the meaning is of what Jesus was saying and doing, but Respond to his purpose, which is reconciliation. And today, if your heart, you just know right here where you stand or where you sit, that your heart is not reconciled to God. Just like it says in Malachi chapter 4, the hearts of fathers to children, the hearts of children turn to fathers. What you need to hear is that the father's heart is turned toward you today. And you're here this morning, standing, sitting, wherever you are, whether you're on campus or or online, you're here before the Father today, and you need to hear that his heart is for you. His heart is toward you. And that the whole purpose of Jesus The whole story of Jesus told from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between is to bring you to him today. Jesus even says it this way. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door to me, I will come in. I will fellowship with him and they with me. He wants a relationship with you. His heart is towards you. I don't know what's brought you here today. I don't know where your life has led up until this point, but I know it's to here. And I can say that with all certainty, he loves you. So if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, 
and you feel the Father drawing you and you just know. I want to give you an opportunity to respond today. In just a minute, we're going to pray a prayer together and Just like day four of VBS this last week, you have the opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ forever. Today, you have the opportunity to be reconciled to a God who loves you. Today, you have the opportunity to have your life changed forever by a God who cares desperately for you. I believe even today that you've had experiences in your life, even this week, even this week, that have let you know that his eye is on you and his face is turned towards you. If that's you today, I want to pray with you right now. So if you'd like to, just repeat after me. We're going to pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I know that my decisions have led me far from you. I know I've made mistakes. But today, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive my sin. I want to be yours. Today, I give my life to you. I believe, Jesus, that you came. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose from the dead for me. And I believe that you're coming again. And Lord Jesus, I give my life to you today. I give my life to you today. All of my heart I give to you. I'm yours. If you prayed that prayer today and you, you gave your life to Jesus Christ, we, we want to pray with you. We want to join together right now with you. Would you just raise up one hand right where you are? We want to just come alongside you and, and just pray with you this morning and just, just stand with you today. So if that's you, would you just raise up one hand? We want to pray with you. And prayer team, would you just look around, see if there's anybody that you can agree with today in prayer? And then secondly today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to recognize our purpose as the church to reconcile others to God. And today, if, if there's going to be some prayer points on the screen right now, but here in the room right now, if you, if, if you know that you've just been distracted from your purpose as a believer, and you're like, hey, I... I just know I, I need to be reconciling others to God. That's who I'm called to be. That's what he's called me to do. I need to be reconciling people to God. We're going to just get back on track this morning. Can we do that? Can we just say, hey, I, it's time for me to get back on track. I know I'm called to reconcile people to the Father. That's what we're called to do. In Vineyard Boise, we're called to make the invisible God visible to our community. We're called to make the invisible God visible to our schools, our neighborhood, our city. That's what we're called to do. And so today, if that's you, I would, 
we're just going to pray right now. I want to pray for you. And if that's you, I want you just to, to just sub- surrender to God today and say, God, put me back on track. I want to be someone who reconciles others to you. So God, right now, in Jesus' name, we just agree together, Lord, that you would make our church a church that reconciles people to you, that our goal, our purpose would be, Jesus, to reconcile our communities to you, to reconcile our city to you. Every single person that we meet in our schools, in our places of business, in our workplaces, everywhere we go, that we would be reconcilers to the Father. We recognize, Jesus, that that's what you came to do. So, Lord, today, would you make me somebody who reconciles people to the Father, that turns the hearts of others to you? Some of you are just like, man, my, my life is just so chaotic right now. It's just kind of crazy. Right? Listen, I speak peace over your life right now in Jesus' name. Those distractions, those cares, those things that you just can't see. I'm just so distracted. I just speak peace to those right now in Jesus' name. Because you have a purpose. You have a purpose to reach people for Jesus Christ and to reconcile them to the Father through Him. You and I have a purpose, church. You and I have a purpose. We don't just gather in here to gather. We gather in here to scatter. We gather in here to go. Do what he's called us to do. We're called to be people who just point people to Jesus. We're called to be people who just lead people to the Father through him. What a joyful responsibility we have. What a joyful responsibility to have to lead people, to bring in the harvest and lead them to the Father. So if you, wanna, if you want God to use you to, to do that this week in your life, would you just say, God, use me? Use me, Lord. I want you to use me, God, to reach people for you. worship team's going to sing over us and you know we're we're a little bit earlier than we usually are and that's okay but if you if you need prayer for any reason would you just uh, come up here to the front we have a prayer team that wants to pray for you pray with you if you are online and you need prayer for any reason would you just please just type into the chat feature or send an email through the through the website however and we want to pray with you and pray for you and then here all over the room I think Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like us, if, if, would you just gather with some people around you? And would you just pray for people that you know that need to be reconciled to the Father this morning? Would you just pray and just say, Lord, would you, would you let me be an instrument of your peace? Would you let me, would you help me to help them turn to you? So let's just gather. Maybe it's at your table or maybe on your row, wherever you are. As the worship team sings, just gather and just say, would you just pray for some people by name and say, Lord, I want to reconcile these people to you. Go ahead. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. 
our friends, our family, our community. Just like you prophesied through through Malachi, Lord, that their hearts would be turned to you, God. We say yes, Lord. We say yes, Lord. Turn hearts to you. And Lord, however you can use us, would you use us to do that? God, would you use us to do that today? We give you our hearts and our lives today, God. We say have your way in us today, God. And would you go with us as we leave this room today, God? Be glorified through us in our community today, God. We ask in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have an incredible week. We'll see you back here this week. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, Please email prayer at vineyardboise.org and if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.